You're listening to Fair Play on justicenews.net. Welcome to Fair Play. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui. Joining me today is someone who persistently fought for justice for his own life and his freedom and for the truth. And he got it, but it took him about 27 years to get there. And his name is Valentino Dixon. And he's speaking with us today out of Buffalo, New York. Thank you for your time and welcome to the show, Valentino. Thanks for having me, Siddiqui. It's an honor and a privilege. Uh, Here's the backdrop for our listeners about your case. On June 12, 1992, the jury convicted Dixon of second-degree murder of Toriano Jackson, attempted murder, assault, and criminal possession of a weapon. He was sentenced to 38 and a half years to life in prison. Fast forward to 26 plus years to September 19, 2018. Lamar Scott, the actual shooter, who admitted to this crime many times before, pled guilty to manslaughter in return for a sentence that would run with the 25 to 50 year sentence he was already serving for another killing. That same day, Dixon's convictions for second degree murder of Toriano Jackson, attempted murder and assault were vacated and the prosecution dismissed the charges. The conviction for criminal possession of a weapon remained intact because the TEC-9 weapon that Scott said he used in the shooting belonged to Dixon. Dixon was then released from prison more than 27 years after his arrest in 1991. My question would be to you, uh, Valentino, is do you, do you think someone who's been exonerated proved out to be right and innocent of the crimes they said he, he committed? Do you think that person can ever lead a normal life? Well, it's, it's, it's always possible. You know, my goal is always to live a normal life. However, you know, there's always going to be some type of damage done due to 27 years in incarceration. You know, um, for me, my faith is everything, and all of us are going to be tested in life with something. You know, my test was 27 years of wrongful imprisonment. Wow. My actions and the things I've done in the last two and a half years have all suggested that I, you know, obviously living a uh, normal life, a normal existence. You know, I don't have time to be bitter or angry because I'm not going to allow that to be a part of my character, my daily activity. You know, I'm not going to live in a prison, you know, within a prison. I just was released from prison. I'm not going to live in a prison out here. However, uh, of course, you know, I missed the best years of my life from 21 years old all the way to 48 years old, you know, and I can't get those years back, you know, and my family suffered as well. I'm the only, you know, son to my mother. I'm the only child. And I was arrested on her birthday. You know, imagine how devastating that could be to a mother. And this is her only child. You know, and then my daughter was six months old when I was arrested. You know, so the list goes on and on and on. But for me, for me, there's so much work to be done, you know, that I have to push through any obstacles that I'm dealing with now on navigating through this life, the new life out here in this world. And, you know, that's what I've been doing to the best of my ability. And, you know, it takes a lot of prayer. You know, I read about 600 books when I was in prison to just keep my mind sane, you know, to stay, you know, updated in society and what was going on with technology, et cetera, et cetera. 
And the mind is fragile, as you know. You know, I have friends that committed suicide. And, you know, not everybody can make it out of that place. And then they had me in the worst prison on the planet, which is Attica Correctional Facility, you know. Uh, but overall, you know, I'm your exception. There's many guys that were innocent, and when they were finally exonerated, were not the same. They couldn't even hold interviews. You know, were damaged goods. Some guys were raped. You know, I was fortunate not to be violated. You know, so I count my blessings. Wow. How has it been since you stepped out as a free man? Well, I stepped out on a mission. Okay? And I want to say the only problem that I really had was this iPhone 7 that my daughter bought me. You know? And I wanted to take this thing and throw it across the room many days. But I sat, because I have a lot of patients, drawing up to 10 hours a day for the last 20 years of my sentence gave me, you know, the discipline and the patience to deal with any type of situation. You know, so I, once I learned how to use this iPhone, you know, it was, uh, the rest was easy. You know, for me, when you come from a dungeon type existence, then you learn how to appreciate everything. You look up at the sky, you know, you hear the birds chirping and, you know, and this is not something that you're used to. So you just grab one to it and hold on to it tightly. And there's no room for, you know, as far as I can say, misery. You know, it's a lot of misery going on in the world and people are going through some hard changes, you know. And I also want to use my story to say, hey, you can overcome that obstacle. It's not how you start, it's how you finish in this life. You filed a lawsuit against your accusers. Is, is there any progress on that? Well, that's another thing. You know, I've been out two and a half years and a lawsuit is still pending. And my attorneys are saying that it's going to take another one to two years to be resolved. That uh, Buffalo or New York State is claiming that they don't have any money. <laughs> so what about your painting? Are you still painting? Of course, I'm drawing. I'm a, uh, you know, it's a compliment when you mention painting, because most people, when they look at my artwork, they believe my drawings are paintings. Yeah. You know, and that's a compliment. Yes. In fact, I'm working on a commission right now. Uh, the great legendary tennis player John McEnroe reached out for me to draw Wibbleton. That's cool. You know, so I've been working on that. Yeah, yeah. And last um, Christmas, with this Christmas that just passed, Michelle Obama reached out and purchased a drawing, a, a golf drawing for Barack Obama. That's cool. For me, yes. So yes, I am. This is how I make my living. You know, and I've defied all the odds with the art galleries because they didn't, you know, they, they suggested I wouldn't make a certain type of living until somewhere down the line, 10 years down the line with my art. And I proved them wrong, you know, uh, within weeks of coming out of prison, negotiating my own sales and taking my art value to a, a place and a level that the art world hasn't seen. And you also proved another thing wrong. Uh, those who say that we have a fair and impartial justice system because you spent more than 27 years behind bars for something you did not do. So what can you say about the U.S. justice system? The U.S. justice system is not designed or equipped to give the poor person a fair trial. This is just a fact. Okay. I had eight witnesses in the confession that cleared me just days after I was arrested. Wow. My court-appointed attorney did not call one single eyewitness to the stand and did not even introduce the confession to the jury. So the jury never knew another man confessed in this case. All of this evidence was swept under the rug. 
In fact, they violated my most basic fundamental constitutional uh, right to a fair trial. You know, my attorney did not even give an opening statement. Wow. He did not challenge the perjurous testimony that was offered by the prosecutor. You know, and a prosecutor has a duty and an obligation to seek the truth, not just the conviction. This is the law. You know, and New York State laws are harsh and excessive and cruel. In fact, the United States in general have the worst sentencing guidelines in the world, which is why we have over 2.3 million people incarcerated. You know, because jobs are at stake, investments are at stake, you know, and we know that mass incarceration is devastating to African-Americans and other minorities, and it's beneficial to whites, you know. Uh, is our system racist? I believe it is. And Michelle Alexander, a scholar now, Supreme Court, form, former Supreme Court clerk, who's a legal scholar, said, you know when something is racist, but without racist language, it's hard to prove. And as long as they don't use the N-word or any type of language that suggests racial discrimination or bias or, you know, prejudice, then they can get away with these things. My case went to every court in America, the Supreme Court, the federal court, the appellate court, the state court. All of them swept my case under the rug. All of them were aware that eight witnesses cleared me. All of them were aware that another man confessed. Yet I spent 27 years in prison. And this is common. This is just not my case. You know, since 1999, there's been over 300 exonerations. You know, and if DNA hadn't came along, American public would still not believe that this was possible. Wow. Okay? Because uh, in my case, there was witnesses, there was confession, there was physical evidence, they took my clothes, they took my car, you know, they tested this stuff in the lab, but then they never produced the results. They held on to the results for 27 years that proved that I didn't shoot a gun. Wow. You know, then 27 years later, they bring Scott in, give him a plea bargain, to say that it was my gun that they used, a gun that was never found. Oh. And I had to take a plea bargain to this charge to get out of prison. Otherwise, I'd be still sitting in there now. So that gun... And bear in mind, that yeah, and bear in mind, Scott confessed seven times and never once said that uh, the gun came from me. He never once said that. Wow. So the, the story about the gun is... Coerced. It's coerced. It's coerced statement. And I have no choice to take this plea. My lawyers are trying to fight that right now. So there was no gun? You know, but it was... There was no gun recovered. <laughs> so th this whole thing about the TEC-9, there was none of this thing. There was no gun recovered. Whatsoever. And I had to take a plea bargain to get out of prison to a gun that was never recovered. You're listening to Fair Play, the official podcast of JusticeNews.net. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. Welcome back to Fair Play. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui, and today we're speaking with Valentino Dixon, who was falsely convicted of murder in Buffalo, New York in 1992. And after 27 years of an intense struggle, he was finally exonerated in 2018. Are you bitter for what they did to you? And if you're not, then why not? Well, number one, I don't have time to be bitter. It's too much work to do. And the reason I'm not bitter is because 
If I was bitter right now, my mother's a different story. She's bitter. She's extremely bitter. I'm not bitter because, and I fight her with this almost every day. I'm not going to allow these people to take my joy away from me. I can't allow that to happen. And when I was in that six by eight prison cell, trust and believe I fought with that every day. You know, when I was in prison, I helped guys get their GED. I counseled guards. I counseled guys. I read about 600 books when I was in jail, you know, and one thing, one thing that you can't allow anybody to take from you is your inner peace, you know, and I wasn't going to allow the DA's office or the Buffalo Police Department or the judge whom knew I was innocent to take that away from me. You know, I don't know how much life I have left on this planet, you know, and my, my days have to be spent in as much joy as possible. Sure, I have moments where I'm angry and I look back, but I don't allow those things to define, you know, who I am in order to navigate through this life, you know, and just have an inner peace that most people don't have, you know, and I just refuse to allow that to happen. When you look at my artwork, I completed over 900 drawings in prison. You're not looking at sad artwork, dark artwork. No way. You're looking at artwork. It's beautiful. You're looking at artwork that's full of life. Thank you. You know, it's full of life. When I pulled up to that jail, it was like pulling up to a medieval castle. Wow. You know, the walls are 40 foot concrete walls. You have armed guards with AR-15 rifles, you know, and you're marched in there like cattle. Those prosecutors who were involved in carrying this injustice against you, were they held accountable or will they be prosecuted? Well, the thing about the U.S. law is that the prosecutors have immunity, okay, that they are not held accountable, all right? So what happened in my case was, once it was revealed that this prosecutor withheld the physical evidence, now, bear in mind, he ignored eight witnesses in the confession, but he withheld the physical evidence that cleared me this crime fully knowing that I hadn't fired a weapon, okay? And he, he revealed this 27 years later on video, okay? And, but he was fired, okay? And when he was fired, it was a small article in a newspaper saying that he was demoted, okay? To, you know, to save his reputation. Then he was hired in another county, you know, no more than 50 miles away. Wow. <laughs> he was hired, they gladly hired him somewhere else. You know, so, you know, the system is, you know, all about race. It's set up that way, you know, and people don't want to hear this reality. You know, I mean, look at China. China has a, a population eight times our size, but only have a million prisoners. How is this possible? How is it that we have 25% of the world's prison population? You know, that in New York State alone, there's 9,000 people over the age of 65 that's incarcerated. I have a friend that was given a 20-year sentence. Okay, he did the 20 year sentence. Then the parole board refused to release him for the next 26 years. So at 46 years in prison, he finally had a heart attack and died in the cell just last year. Wow. I know a guy that has 50 years for non two nonviolent uh, burglaries. Wow. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on until the American people get involved and make this a human rights issue, then this prison rights issue is going to be nothing more than rhetoric, nothing more than conversation, okay? You know, oh, did you get out because of the Trump uh, Act or the One Step Act? And 
You know, all this stuff is nonsense. You know, when these laws are passed in, in regards to prison reform, it's letting out no more than a couple thousand people at a time. So guess what? That 2.2 million people, those numbers are not dwindling down. And they're not dwindling down because the people that they're releasing are going right back to prison because we have a 77% recidivism rate. People are returning back to prison. The older people that's incarcerated, they're keeping those people because they know those people is not going to return back to prison. The, 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 the uh, percentage of them returning back to prison is 1% if you're over the age of 60. But they refuse to pass a good time bill that will release the elderly from prison. Wow. And let me just say this. If it wasn't for my artwork, I would still be incarcerated right now. I knew at some point after 15 years that I had to draw myself out of prison. I had to draw to the point where I got media attention on my story, on the artwork. Okay? And it just ha so happened to be golf because the warden asked me to draw his favorite golf hole. And I started drawing golf holes every day. You know? And I took one of them and I sent them to the Golf Digest magazine. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. You know? And they got involved. Anybody that read my trial can't believe it. You know? And the Golf Digest read my trial. They could not believe what they were reading. But this happens to people and poor people all over America every single day, you know. And the New York State passed a, uh, well, the New York, I'm going to say the Supreme Court, which is the law of the land in New York, in, 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 the, in America. Uh, it's a case uh, called Gideon versus Rainwright. And what it states is this, that anyone accused of a serious crime is entitled to legal representation, but not adequate representation this is the thing so i'm afforded a lawyer but all this lawyer has to do is just show up if he shows up that judge is going to deem him credible if he doesn't call eight witnesses that can clear you that judge is going to say oh that was trial strategy these are the games that they play in this justice system you know and it's it's it's, it's horrific i watched an attorney talk about your case right the attorney was saying that this is very rare. It doesn't happen a lot. I mean, what would you say to that? Well, it's estimated that there is 5% of people in, that's incarcerated is innocent. So you do the numbers. We have about 50,000 people right now that's wrongfully convicted in America. About 50,000 people. Hmm. Okay? And the numbers don't lie. Every day you turn on the TV and you're seeing somebody that's cleared of a crime that they didn't commit yeah and not only that the abuse inside the prison you know is a whole nother topic you know not having running water because the guards cut off your water supply wow you know being beat because your shoelace is untied while you're walking through the hallway you know uh not having adequate health care you know i know guys that are uh, several guys that you know, had heart attacks, and they weren't taken to the hospital to the next day, you know, and they died that night. Wow, that's what, that was my next question. What was life like? What was life like inside the prison? You know, life in Attica was horrible. I mean, I went to go get my wisdom teeth pulled out one day. The, the guy pulled my wisdom teeth out. He didn't bandage me up. He didn't stitch me up. My gum needed to be stitched. I bled for a whole day. 
until they took me back to the hospital. I almost died because I bled for a whole day before they finally took me back to the hospital and dared for me to complain. I had four officers with sticks pull up to my to my cell and tell me to shut up and stop complaining. Unbelievable. And it wasn't because of the it was only because of the grace of God that I survived that. Wow. You know, that I lived through that. Because I couldn't go to sleep because my mouth, my gums was bleeding. And I had a slit through my gums from when he pulled it out. And, he, and it needed to be stitched up. And it never stopped bleeding the whole 24 hours. Man, I've gone through that. It needs immediate attention. Yeah. You could have bled to that. I could have bled it though. No doubt about it. You know, and to this day, I'm trying to figure out how I survived it. Because I had to stay woke. I think I dozed off about, I don't know, maybe five minutes. And I had so much blood coming out of my mouth, I was wake, awakened because of the blood. Wow. So I just had to keep, I just, I'm telling you, for 24 hours, all it was spit out blood. Just spit it out as it was coming out my gums. Man, do you think they wanted that to happen? And I was swallowing a lot of blood, too. I had to swallow in order, you know. You know, these people, you know, they have, they have little to no regard for human life that, that you know, that's running these prisons. You know, they don't they don't uh, acknowledge that there are human beings that they're, you know, overseeing. How many do you think are still in there who are absolutely innocent? At least at least 40 to 50,000 people across America. These are these are uh, statistics from experts. And and most of them are going to do their time, the whole prison sentence. You know, it's a rarity to get a, a false conviction. You know, uh, you know, it's a rarity for them to overturn a false conviction because nobody wants to touch that type of case. Nobody wants to go against a colleague, you know, that made a mistake or or did something deliberate. How much of a role do you think race plays in our criminal justice system? If you if you go back in history, the criminal justice system was basically, you know, originated after slavery. Okay, and it was to gather as many slaves as possible and find them for baker trees and different little petty laws, and then put them on on plantations to work, you know, work off that prison sentence or work off that fine, you know. And at some point, it became big business. Okay, and when you look at who's incarcerated today, it's obvious. I mean, let me let me ask you this: If young black males were going to college and landing good jobs, and young white males were going off to prison, can you imagine this? You can't imagine this because this wouldn't happen. They wouldn't let it happen. The problem would be fixed immediately. Yeah. You know, there would be no mass incarceration. Congress would come together and say, "Hold on, we got our we got we got we have our white males incarcerated." And we have black males thriving and surviving out here, you know, and doing well for themselves. Hold on, we got to do something about this. We got to pass a law right now that's going to release these white males from incarceration. We can't have white males incarcerated and black males going off to college and landing good jobs, you know. And I came from an area of drug infestation, economic collapse, you know, a devastation Whereas, you know, some people don't know when their next meal is going to come. People are selling drugs to survive. You know, economic collapse. You know, what are you going to have? Eventually, you're going to have crime and dysfunction. 
and it's just a reality. This is why you have the poor and you have minorities that are incarcerated. You're not going to see this type of crap going on in suburbs, suburban areas, you know, and it's just a reality of America. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. This is Fair Play on JusticeNews.net. Welcome back to Fair Play. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui, and today we're speaking with Valentino Dixon, who was falsely convicted of murder in Buffalo, New York in 1992. And after 27 years of an intense struggle, he was finally exonerated in 2018. I was reading one of the articles about you, and in the comment section, I saw something really weird Mm -hmm. the story but was about your exoneration and how the system failed you and the comment was talking about some drive-by shooting years ago so how has been the response from the people do they see you indifferently well any any reports that's written about me first of all i've never done a drive-by shooting oh okay uh any reports that some reporters try to throw out there, I guess, to smear me in some type of way. Wow. You know, the people, the people, the people listen to me and they don't pay that any, any uh, mind to it. The authorities cannot show you any document that suggests that I was involved with a drive-by shooting. They can't produce anything. Unbelievable. They can't produce anything that would suggest that I was a part of a drive-by shooting. Wow. And they use that in the newspaper, in the online article. Yeah, and anybody, right, anybody that knows me is going to tell you the type of person I was. You know, I didn't just wake up yesterday and become this person I am right here today that's counseling kids and that never, let me, you know what, I'm going to give you a good fact here. I was in prison 27 years. If I was a bad guy, there's no way on God's earth that I would spend 27 years in prison. I've never been to solitary confinement. I don't have any type of weapons or fights whatsoever in 27 years in prison. That's unheard of. That's beautiful. Even innocent guys in prison that I've known have took trips to solitary confinement. That says a lot. I didn't take one trip to solitary confinement. I don't have one fight on record. And this is 27 years of imprisonment. What is life like right now for Valentino? Well, life for Valentino is this. I take care of my 93-year-old grandmother. I moved in with her to make her last days better. I've been with her about a year and a half now. So between that, from going to my mother's house every day to put cream on her back because she has eczema, because her stress took her to a place where she stressed so much when I was in prison that her body just breaks out every day and it still breaks out. So I have to come over here and put cream on her back because she's unable to reach that. Then I go back to my grandmother's house where I'm taking care of her because she's 93. Then I'm on the phone talking to people in regards to prison reform. Then I'm drawing at 5 o'clock in the morning to cover any of those things because I have to make a living. you know. Or I'm sending out 10 letters to different prisoners throughout New York State or food packages, etc. You know, I have no life of my own because I, I refuse to live life until we do something about these prison reform you know, and, and, and mass incarceration. That's my day every single day. Who do you think should accept the blame here and take responsibility for what happened to you? 
Well, nobody's going to take the blame here, okay? Not the prosecutor, not the police department, not the mayor, not the judge, you know? It takes a lot of courage to admit that you made a mistake or that you had a bad apple or a few bad apples in your department, you know, who, who uh, is responsible for this injustice. You just don't have that type of courage, you know, courageous people living in this world. You know, it may be a few here and there, but it's far and few and in between, you know. So I don't focus on who needs to be held accountable. I focus on how can I reach the politician that's unreasonable? How can I get before Congress, the president of the United States, and say, hey, where's the humanity here? Where's your heart? When are you going to do something about this travesty, this civil rights violation, these human rights violations, and these obviously constitutional rights violations that's occurring in our justice system? When are you going to do something about it? And I'm just waiting for my opportunity. This is why whenever reporters reach out, you know, or someone such as yourself reach out, I'm willing to dedicate some time to trying to explain this madness to the American people because the American people know is that mass incarceration, hey, this is just a part of life here. This is, you know, a part of the American process, the American justice process, you know, and they don't understand what's going on because of all the prison reform rhetoric that they see on TV. The problem is this. Our sentencing laws are too harsh, too excessive, and it violates the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution against cruel and unusual punishment. And once Congress reduced these sentencing guidelines, okay, then you're going to see people being released from prison that should have been released decades ago. You know, the sentencing guidelines are excessive and cruel. And that's the, that's the solution to ending mass incarceration. If you're not going to reduce the sentencing guidelines, you're not going to curb the problem. You're not going to find the solution. You're not going to do anything. It's just going to be the same old talk this day to the next 10 years until somebody does something about it. I ask many attorneys that it's so easy to convict an innocent man in America, and yet it's so difficult for him to be released honorably. Those systems are set in place. You're not going to ever go anywhere. But what we can do is this. We can force Congress, force the president, force the House, force the Senate, force these congressmen to do the right thing to reduce the sentencing guidelines. They're too harsh and excessive, and no other country has these type of sentencing guidelines but us. Only we do. This is Fair Play on justicenews.net. This is Fair Play on justicenews.net. Welcome back to Fair Play. I'm your host, Imran Siddiqui, and today we're speaking with Valentino Dixon, who was falsely convicted of murder in Buffalo, New York in 1992. And after 27 years of an intense struggle, he was finally exonerated in 2018. So why does it have to be like that? You know, that an innocent man has to work so hard for decades and, and even working with a magazine and, 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 and gather support on his own what is somebody who's innocent and he can't do all of that? Well, I mean, doesn't it sound ridiculous? In some cases, some people are going to die in prison, innocent men. It happens all the time. You know, not everybody's going to make it out. I willed myself out of prison, you know, and not everybody's as strong as me. You know, I motivated guys to stay strong and to keep their heads together, you know, only to find out that the same guy I was talking to committed suicide an hour before, you know, we came out of our jail cells. 
you know, so this is the reality, you know, and at, at, at the end of the day, you know, for anybody that's listening, you know, we're all going to be challenged with something in life and we don't get to decide the challenge. You have to hang in there and overcome that challenge, that obstacle. Otherwise, you will not take victory. You not will not be able to sit here and speak the way I'm speaking right now. I was not going to let them win. I couldn't. There's too many people that was depending on me. My mother, my grandmother, my daughter, my wife. There's no way that I was going to give up and not fight to the bitter end. The day you were exonerated outside the courthouse, in an interview, you said that the prison system needs to be reformed. Right. And something needs to be done for the poor because they can't defend themselves. Yes. And I quote, quote you, you said, we need to come up with a solution and render justice for those who are poor. Well, let me just say this. One of the greatest tragedies in American history has been the lack of concern for the poor and digit person, not only in society, but in our justice system, judicial system. You know, this is just a fact. We have no concern. There is no urgency. Those that write the laws and make the laws, they also break the laws, you know, and they don't have to look at me. They don't have to they don't have to see my face. I'm not at their doorstep. I'm not at their job. You know, they can go home and, you know, and act as if nothing is going on at all and go back to work tomorrow and still not pass any bills or any laws. It's just the way it is. So what have you been able to do so far in regards to that? Well, my goal is to raise money. Okay, I'm going to give an example. This guy is innocent of a crime. You know, this witness falsely testified because she was receiving a, a, a deal in exchange for a drug charge that she had. And this guy doesn't have anybody to locate this witness. But we were able to find six addresses uh, of this witness. And guess what? I went to all six addresses looking for this woman. Okay, and I came up short. You know, but this took me two days. You know, and it's, you know, I'm not a private investigator, but I'm doing whatever I can do. You know, with what I have, mm. I don't have the funds. I don't have the funds to hire a private investigator. Yeah. You know, I mean, a guy just came home after 27 years, well, 25 years. I did 27. He came up 25 years. I had to take him to buy him some shoes and some sneakers. Didn't have anything, no clothes, nothing. Wow. You know, then he went to the halfway house. I mean, I've helped about 20 guys that has came home came home from prison since I've been home. They tried to screw your life, and you took it, and you turned it around for yourself. Well, I think that God had a plan for me. My mother said, and I always thought she was nuts. She said, when you were born, a light shined over us in the, in the, in the hospital, and God told her that I was going to, you know, the world would know my name one day. And that I was going to be someone special. And I always felt like I had a mission in life when I was, I think, about the age from the age of six on. I felt like I was different and, you know, that God was going to use me for something. I didn't know what it was going to be. You know, so here I am. You know, I want to be an example to the world that, you know, all of us are going to go through something and you can overcome it. Plain and simple. But you got to hang in there. You got to stay strong. You got to keep the faith. That's my message. And, you know, if I had to go to jail for 27 years to save someone's life by 
reaching this to them, you know, through my words, then it was all worth it. Because guess what? Right now you have a 10-year-old kid dying of cancer, okay? That's not going to see his 11th birthday. I'm 51 years old. My mother had cancer three times when I was in prison. Serious cancer, leukemia, lung cancer, ovarian cancer. Imagine that, you know? And I just prayed and prayed that she seemed was alive to see me walk out of prison. I know guys that walked out and their mother was not alive. Their grandmother was not alive. So that's a huge blessing for me to come home and have both my mother and my grandmother still alive. I didn't think they were going to make it. Wow. So the key is not to focus on the bad. Okay. You got to focus on the good and, and focusing on the bad. We have to speak about prison reform because it's really bad. So I have to focus on that, you know, but I truly believe that I can play an instrumental part, a role in getting some laws passed that are meaningful laws, you know, not laws that it's not changing the system at all, but meaningful laws, you know, and I believe I can be a part of it. You know, uh, Michelle Obama reached out. I mean, what's the odds of that? She reached out and purchased a piece of artwork for me for Barack Obama. Then Barack Obama sent me a personal video from his house. You know, he shared my story in 40 million uh, Instagram followers. You know, so who knows what's next? I just keep playing my part, keep pushing ahead, plunging ahead, doing everything I can in my willpower, you know, to make the system more fair, more fair just, and equal. That's what it's about, and that's what I'm going to continue to do until my last breath is in me. That's what I wanted to ask you, that what's next for Valentino Dixon? Is it the Valentino Justice Act? Well, hopefully, God willing, you know, I have a show that I, I, I have called Draw and Talk With Me, okay? I came up with the concept when I was in prison, and I wanted to teach people how to draw, but I want to have a healthy dialogue. I would have dialogue about real-life issues or their occupation. So when I walked out, I, you know, purchased my own cameras. I found a young guy, and I said, hey, man, I'm going to be interested you know, interviewing people and drawing with them, you know, and wherever I speak, there's always somebody with interesting story. I have four Hall of Fame athletes on my show. You know, I have a heart doctor. What can he teach us about the heart? This guy works on child's hearts. You know, I've done one with a homeless person. You know, how'd you become homeless? This person has a history. You know, we can't just assume anything. I need to hear how did this person become homeless? Yeah. You know, I've done drawing talk with kids and teachers. So, it's a, you know, I'm teaching people how to draw, and it's very, you know, informative. I've got 35 shows, and I'm, you know, just waiting for a network to say, hey, we got to have this show. I don't have anybody that's taken on this project yet, you know. And, you know, people in the world, it could be the, one of the best shows on TV, you know, and everybody just overlook it. And I believe I will have one of the top shows on TV easily if if a network takes a chance and i'm not worried because as sooner or later somebody's going to take a chance on this show nobody has yet though so i have my drawn talk with me show my book is coming out next month the art the soul of an unfreed man okay you're going to be able to get it on amazon in about 30 days that's cool okay and it highlights my journey what happened to me how i was convicted how i survived prison you know and how i stripped my willpower from day to day what we're trying to do with Justice News uh-huh. and with this podcast is to eventually get to a point where any human being 
who's incarcerated right now, out of the 2.2 million people incarcerated in America right now, any individual who claims to be innocent, that person should get the money, the support, the defense, the counsel, media attention, and all of the above to be able to at least present his case. The best part is that you're outside. The, the, the gentleman that I interviewed before you is still inside. Yeah. His name is Chris Tucker. Right. And this guy, he's in there for life, man, for something he didn't do. And right. you know, I'm not even an attorney. And I have the data and I have the evidence to back it up that this guy is innocent. Well, you have you have common sense. You know, it, what happens with the system is, is that people are covering for each other. So in most cases, authorities realize that they have the wrong man in prison. But because you have careers, you have egos involved, and you have public embarrassment, these people refuse to, you know, render justice. Without the media, I would still be incarcerated. Now, the media slaughtered me when I went to court because they were filled with misinformation. You know, they were given misinformation, and so they ran with it. You know, however, after 15 years of being in the penitentiary, I realized the only way I'm going to get out of prison is through the media and through my artwork. Not the eight witnesses in the confession that cleared me, but my artwork in the media. Without that, I would be still sitting in a six-by-eight prison cell. So it's people like you that is helping to, you know, keep authorities on their toes and uh, force their hands, force them to do the right thing. You know, because all we want at the end of the day is a justice system that's fair, just, and equal. Fair Play with host Imran Siddiqui, available today on your favorite podcast platforms. Fair Play is an original discussion series from justicenews.net, where a fair dialogue takes place. Based on facts, data, and ground realities, without any fear, contempt, or intimidation to speak the truth. This is Fair Play on justicenews.net.